0: Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag Fashion Culture.
1: We are honored to welcome Misa Hilton in conversation with FIT professor Elena Romero. For over 25 years, Misa Hilton has been a Renaissance woman at the forefront of seismic shifts in fashion, music, and culture. She is acclaimed for creating iconic looks that simultaneously capture an unforgettable moment while setting the stage for what everyone will want to wear next year. Iconic moments in, the culture, in culture such as the purple pasty and pantsuit ensemble, worn by Lil' Kim at MTV's 1999 Video Music Award, Beyonce's leather MCM bustier and trench coat worn in the 2018 Ape Music Video, in addition to designing custom pieces for shows such as Insecure and the Power Book 3 Racing Cannon. Hilton's impact has been felt worldwide over the last two decades and continues to inspire generations through her work as MCM Global Creative Partner and her Macy's Icons of Style collection. She's the founder of the Missa Hilton Fashion Academy, which offers education for creatives looking to build a successful career in the fashion world. Please join me in welcoming Misa Hilton and Elena Romero.
2: Hey everyone! How's everybody doing? All right. So for those who don't know me, I'm Professor Elena Romero, and I've had the pleasure of knowing Misa Hilton, ooh, a good 25 years or so. Uh, before I moved into academia full time, I was a fashion reporter at uh, DNR and later Women's Wear Daily. And I had uh, the honor and privilege of covering Misa and her career as a fashion reporter. And of course, that iconic 1999 VMA award ceremony happened to be the first one that I covered, my first red carpet event. So I remembered uh, that particular day uh, vividly. Uh, so I'm a little old school, I'm as old as hip hop. So I'm gonna <laughs> have some references that some people in the audience are not necessarily going to understand. <laughs> So tonight's program is going to be a little Barbara Walters meets This Is Your Life. So some of you may not be familiar with that television program, but that program came out in the 60s to the 80s and it was a great, wonderful biographical series. And so we're going to take the approach of two girlfriends having an intimate conversation really based around the pillars of the Misa Hilton Fashion Academy, which, in quite honestly, are really Misa's life pillars. So with that being said, um, I'd like to focus on the first pillar, which is community. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what role would you say community has played in your life? In
0: my life? I mean, community has played a huge role in my life. And that's why community is like the first value um, at the Mesa Hilton Fashion Academy, like the number one pillar. Um, Community is so important to be able to be in company of people who support you, who look like you, who understand you, and who are there to support you in your journey um, throughout life. You know, we we all want to feel safe. Um, It's good to connect with people that are empowered and know your power and see the greatness in you. And that's what community means for me, like coming together and you know, being of full support in every way possible, whether it's personally or professionally. And I have an amazing community. So let's
2: talk about that community a little bit. But before we get into that, Talk to me a little bit about your upbringing and the community that you were raised in. Okay.
0: Um, I was raised in a really beautiful community. It was multicultural. My mother is Japanese and West Indian Jamaican. My father is African American Black. And so um, my community had many different (laughs) facets to it and parts, but it was so rich in culture and um, Black culture, Asian culture. And... Um, I learned first to be a kind person in my community, to be a giving person. Um, I learned to um, be proud of who I am, be proud of where I come from. I learned to always lend a helping hand as a child. Um, Yeah, I had a really, really great environment and my parents were super dope and my dad loved hip hop. Um, And when I would spend time with him in East Orange, New Jersey, that's when I really got into hip-hop and I could really get loose. Uh, On my mother's side, it was a little bit more conservative, but um, so much love and um, so much empowerment and the role models that I had in my life were just like amazing. uh, I would like to talk about my Aunt Nola Hilton. She's a uh, leading, she got her doctorate in physics, first of all, at Stanford University. Let's give it up for Aunt Nola. <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> and um, she was a leading physician that um, led the MRI technology for uh, breast cancer development. Um, so creating it, you know, so, like, that takes a lot a, of, a lot of, um, a lot of science, a lot of math, a lot of that side of the brain, but I was the creative and she supported me. But having a role model like that who was so intelligent and who worked so hard and was so um, unapologetic in her studies really um, played an important part in my community, how I saw what was possible for me as a young black woman as well.
2: Well, we happen to be mothers, and in fact, Misa's daughter is in the audience. Madison, if you want to just wave and say hi. (laughs) What role would you say your mom played in instilling the values that are influencing the core values of your company?
0: All of my um, core values are, they definitely come from my mom. Uh, My mom has been the most important person in my life. Uh, First of all, without her, there would be no me. And without her also, I would not have had a career. My mother is supportive. She's about community. Um, She's about uh, being a kind person, a good person, doing what's right. Um, She allowed me to have the experiences that I needed to have to embark on this journey. And I would not have been able to do it without her at all. My mother, Christine Hilton.
2: So now we're gonna get into the hip hop story. And for those of you who watched Love and Basketball, when did you fall in love with hip-hop? Oh,
0: when did I fall in love with hip-hop? The first time I ever heard hip-hop, it was the Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. Um, My mother actually has old cassette tapes of me rapping. I still remember my first rap, but I'm not going to say it today. I must have been like four years old, seriously. But as soon as I heard it, I fell in love with hip hop. And as I got older, um, preteen um, to, te- to my teenage years, I fell in love um, even more with hip hop when I heard Roxanne Shante rap. When I heard her rap and I saw her, I knew that there was a place for me in hip hop. I saw this young girl who had all this style, who was talking big, you know what, and she was so confident. And I just related to um, her raps. I thought they were fun. I loved her style. And I was enamored by Roxanne Chante.
2: At what point did you find yourself really in
0: love with fashion? I was born in love with fashion, y'all. <laughs> R- literally, seriously. How so? My earliest memories go back to when I was about five years old, and I would change my outfits four or five times a day. (laughs) Um, As I got older, maybe six or seven, I would change my hairstyle. Every time I changed my outfit, something would just, click in me and say wardrobe change time (laughs) and um, my person was the first place that i would be creative but i love fashion i loved everything about image i love fabrics i love color i love textures i love hair i love details i loved it all from a very young age and so much so that as um when i became a teenager i was styling my friends um i was styling also adults I was also styling hair and cutting it and coloring it without a license, but I never got in trouble for doing it, meaning that all the looks were fabulous, and I just had a natural gift of creativity, and hair was like the first place I could really be creative. So anyone who's followed my work, you'll see I've always had different color hair, different styles. Blonde is like kinda of my, my staple look, but um, I love um, hair and everything about image, every detail about image. But that's the earliest time that I can remember being into fashion. I mean, I was doing custom design work when I was in high school. I was creating um, custom bathing suits for my friends to go to the Greek picnic at Jones Beach. I was um, designing prom dresses. um, And every time me and my friends went out, I was in charge of everyone's look, and I made sure everyone was fly. So I had been been developing um, the fashion styling skill set from a creative um, perspective. From the very beginning, early on. And I just loved to do it. I didn't know that there was a career called fashion styling. I didn't know that I could become a fashion professional. I actually loved psychology, and in, a, in another life, I would have been a psychologist. I loved psychology and personal development. That was like my interest in what I thought I could do as a career because I just really had no idea that fashion could be so rewarding for me.
2: You mentioned that hair has definitely been a part of your signature style. Yes. At what point did you change your hair color, and what color was it and why?
0: Ooh, I got in trouble. <laughs> um, so I have a funny story, and, I, and my mother tells it in the remix film. So when I was young, um, on my way home from school, I would walk um, up 4th Avenue in Mount Vernon, New York. And 4th Avenue is like the block that has... Um, all the beauty supply stores and these Chinese um, stores where you could get the sweatshirts with your name uh, across the front very hip-hop right you could buy the coolest jeans, sneakers, um, earrings, accessories, everything it was on 4th Avenue um, and so I would walk through 4th Avenue every day after school and I would go into the beauty supply store and um, when I would go into the beauty supply store, I would be so excited. To this day, it's like my favorite place, one of my favorite places to go to. And I would just look at all the beauty products and the hair colors and um, I used to buy hair dye and I would sneak and take it home and dye my hair when I got home. So I got away with it for a little while y'all because my hair was like a little light, lighter and my mom said to me, Misa, your hair looks light. Like, what's going on? Like, why is your hair looking lighter? I was like, from the sun, Ma. I was standing outside (laughs) in the sun. And that worked for a little while until I went a step too far with the <laughs> lightning of it. And my mother was like, something's going on here. Long story short, I went to visit my dad in East Orange, New Jersey. And my mother did like that cleaning your mom does when you're not there, like that thorough cleaning. And she found all the hair dyes that I had been hiding for months. So I got in big trouble. Um, but I was dying my hair as early as junior high school. And, and another that- funny story, one time before, I yeah, I, I kind of got in trouble in a big way two times. My hair came up like a red burgundy, and I said, oh my God, when my mother gets home from work, she's gonna kill me. I was at my, one of my best friends, Monica, her house in Mount Vernon, and um, I ran to my grandmother's house, got one of her black dyes. I'm talking about jet black, blue black, 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 <laughs> and I dyed my hair. So you know I was looking crazy, right? You- <laughs> It was so dark and so black, and when my mom came home, she knew immediately that I had been in the hair dye, Um, so I got in big trouble for that, but I was being, I was a creative. I was just trying different things, and thank God I never messed up my hair, so that's my first stories of dyeing my hair, and it's been on ever since. (laughs) So where did you get your
2: inspirations from in terms of the fashion looks that you would create at such a young age? My imagination
0: really my imagination, and I worked with the resources that I had. So whether it was a kimono I had from one of my grandmother's trips to Japan, or it was my aunt Tina's silk shirts and bamboo earrings, um, I just used the resources around me and I would create with that. But I was inspired by hip hop music greatly. And back then hip hop music came on Fridays and Saturdays only at night for a few hours, and I would wait by the radio to hear the music. And I would just lay across my carpet on the floor and just daydream. And so my gift has always been um, through my imagination, you know, of course, from God. And I, it, my, I'm, it's inspired by music, all types of music. But hip-hop music was what really, like, set it off for me.
2: So the second pillar is creativity. So you mentioned that you didn't really know that styling was a profession. At what right. point did that click in your head and say, this is what I can do, and I want to do it?
0: Probably by the time I started Styling Mary, J. Blige, which was on her first album. And I still wasn't sure. I was just in it. I was um, in my journey, on my course. And because I was so young, I didn't overthink things. I was just going with the flow. I was just in my element, and opportunities just arose. Um, And I was just in alignment and on my path and on my purpose and looking back, but I really didn't think it could be a career Um, but probably Towards the end of her first album and definitely by her second album. I was like, oh, this is my job This is what I do. And then by the time I got little Kim. I was like, oh, I do this, baby (laughs) (laughs) so
2: Does the creative process vary as it relates to styling versus designing?
0: For me, just the technical aspects, um, but no. My designing is all um, inspired by my world, by music, by the people in my life, by my clients, and getting to know them and connecting with them and listening to their music and their stories. Also looking at my clients and seeing everything great about them. Like as soon as I see people, I automatically see their assets and I'm inspired by that. And I know what would look good on you. Remember, I've been developing this since a young oh, yeah. girl, right? So when I see people, I'm, auto, I'm, I'm instantly inspired. I'm also inspired by designers who've come before me um, and presently still to this day. Such so, as? such as back then um, I was inspired a lot by what we call today streetwear. So like Lee jeans and hip hop style and Puma sneakers and Adidas, like just seeing the people in my neighborhood, they were my style icons, the people in my environment, the people in my family and what they were doing and how they were expressing style. Um, And designers that I loved back then, um, I would say, hmm, that's a long time ago, Sergio Valente, (laughs) love Sergio. Um, I loved um, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, and today we'll talk later about my PVH partnership, I'm working with PVH now. And, oh, Rachel, (laughs) I can't recognize you with the mask. Um, Ramses, hi. Um, Tommy Hilfiger, um, Polo. Nothing less than yes, all those designers were um, my inspiration. And today I'm inspired by so many, too many to name, but uh, Kirby Jean Raymond, April Walker, Dapper Dan, Sergio Hudson. Um, There's so many, uh, so many designers. And of course, you know, one of my favorites. Versace, and I know that sounds like Versace, it seems so common, but if you really get into the roots of Versace, Gianni Versace and who he was, and how he married music and fashion, and created this luxe lifestyle, it's kind of what I was able to do as well in my area of work, so I really relate to him, and I love love his fabrics and designs and just everything about what he created.
2: How is your creative process rooted in
0: your work as a life coach? Hmm. Well, creativity is about thinking outside of the box, right? Seeing what's possible, exploring um, avenues that you may not have thought about. So in my life coaching work, how I incorporate creativity is by seeing what's possible and allowing what's possible, not not limiting and seeing the best in my clients. Again, it's almost like styling, right? Like just automatically seeing what this person could be and who they are, even if they don't see so themselves. And then also getting them to come home to themselves and tap into their inherent wisdom that we all have so that I can understand what their goals are and we can be creative and co-create together. And then I become an accountability partner.
2: Talk to me about the influence of regular black women in your work. The hair, the nails, the clothes, attitude, and of course, the confidence.
0: Oh, you know, as black women, our confidence is on a milli, right, ladies? (laughs) And I think that's something that I'm proud of. And when you talk about, you know, one of the pillars we'll get to is pride, being proud of who you are and where you come from and the rich lineage and the heritage of who we are as a people. And what I love most about black women is how much Um, They love those things like hair and nails and um, how we express ourselves in a very specific way that's true to who we are and where we come from. And, you know, we have a distinct style that stands apart from everyone and anyone else. Um, And black fashion, black women's fashion and celebrating that has always been a foundation in all of the work that I do. So black fashion and hip hop fashion. And most of my clients have been women. And so my fashion journey is a testament to that celebration of black women and their style. I love nails, I love love hair, I'm gonna say it a million times. And I love um, wardrobe, but most importantly, putting it all together in a creative way, in an unexpected way, but a way that's still relatable to people who come from my community especially which wasn't always received early on in the way that it is now. Um, But it's good to have stood the test of time and to be here today to see black fashion and black designers being celebrated in the way that they are today.
2: Speak to us about the freedoms and the courage, the stigmas of your ideas being quote unquote, ghetto.
0: Oh yeah, ghetto. (sighs) The word ghetto, you know. At one point in time, anything that came from, any idea when, as it related to fashion um, that came from the black community had the stigma of being ghetto. I remember on the set of the Not Gonna Cry video with Mary J. Blige, um, If you guys remember that video, that's when she had the black lipstick on, she had the Jackie O Inspired head wrap. And then in another scene, she had a really beautiful Mongolian Fendi uh, fur coat, Mongolian fur fur, fur coat, and she had twisty earrings. And twisty earrings are a staple in hip hop style and in the black community. And she wore them every day, I wore them, we love them. Our friends wore them, people in our community wore them. And it was just, just made sense to, you know, pair it with that beautiful runway piece for us. It was like, yes, you know, it was a moment, a moment for us, a moment that represented where we came from, but it was also elevated and aspirational and it was inspiring. However, um, someone came over to me from a team that was looking to manage her at the time. And they said to me, I'm looking at the monitor. We're watching her um, perform the song. And he says, you know, the earrings, they're a little too, I think it's distracting. Do you have something else it's it's distracting? And I said, no, Mary loves those earrings. I don't have anything else. I think it's fine. I don't think it's distracting. And then he came over another time and kind of mentioned it again. Like, I don't know, I, I really would love to try something else. Third time he came with backup. (laughs) He came with someone else and they both were um, trying to get me to get her to take those earrings out. Well, first off, I knew he did not want me to go over to her on set and ask her to do that because she would have been not not really, not too pleased with them and they would have known it. And I think that's kind of why they were trying to come to me so that I could go on set and convince her. And just let me stick a pin in that for a moment. So many times we've been faced with that decision in this fashion journey. When we are on set, um, when we are the, the stylist and the person in charge of the look and we have the relationship with the client and we're put in a position where someone wants us to whitewash something or tone down our blackness or tone, tone down our style and a lot of times, that that moment, a lot of times in the past has been a moment where your job is now on the line. Mm-hmm. Where you feel like you may have to not, you you may have, you have to make a choice for your livelihood. And so that's very unfortunate. I'm so glad we moved from those times, but I remember, you know, people not being able to authentically celebrate who they are, celebrate our style, or show the pride that we have, because people would come over and, and try to get us to, tone it down or not look at it, but let me go back to the story because hey, i want to finish what happened. how do you know happened. how to pick and choose those battles? How do especially you know how with this story that you're telling us now. Okay, I'm gonna finish. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, um, so they said, you know, I think you should put something small. It's distracting and I don't think it looks good. I said, well, it looks great and Mary loves these earrings. These happen to be a personal favorite of hers. So I think that we're gonna leave them in. And there was, um, Steve Lucas was, managing her at the time, but he was trying. He was actually transitioning out of the role, and these people were looking to come into the role. So then they go and get Steve. So now it was three against one. Now mm-hmm. mind you, how did I have so much courage at a young age? Because I was, wasn't even 30 yet. I wasn't even 25, I don't think. Mm, maybe. So um, I stood my ground, but I had a relationship with Steve, and of course I the relationship that I was building with Mary um Steve had my back and he said no Mary does not have to take them out we're gonna but he said what did Misa say and she said he's I said I said leave them in he said well the earrings stay in so it's important this is why community is important Mm -hmm. and having people who advocate for you are important and for us to have each other's backs in positions like that because it could get real funny quickly And there are people who have not made those decisions. Um, There have been people who have been in the same situation as me that probably took the earrings out, you know, and went along just to make someone else, um, another group of people happy who was judging us as a ghetto. Because really without saying it, they felt like it was ghetto. That's what it was, right? And so I'll tell you, standing up for myself and believing in, in, in myself and having the courage to speak up in that moment, um, it, it really went a long way for me. And, um, and because I had Steve Lucas who had my back in that moment, um, it made me understand how important it was, how, how important community was. And, you know, it, it was something, it would be something, an experience, an experience that I would take with me going forward. Um, There was something else I was gonna say about that. That was really good, let me think. Um, So, Mary found out later, and you know what she said? I'm glad they didn't come over here and ask me to take (laughs) my earrings out because that was not gonna happen. (laughs) And so, um, and I knew that so I kinda saved them too. Um, Oh, this is what I was gonna say. But outside of those things that I learned from that experience and the wisdom that it gave me and how empowered I felt, um, you know what felt even more special? How many black women came up to me in the streets and how many black women that I met and young girls that saw themselves in Mary J. Blige and they loved the earrings. And that would be one of the first things they say. They didn't give a darn about that Fendi Mongolian coat. Which was fabulous, baby, straight off the (laughs) runway. But the fact that they could now see themselves in someone who was on TV and someone who was the queen of hip hop soul, you know, at that time. And so that felt really good. And still is. Will always be. And that's when I knew, I knew I made the right decision, but that's when I really knew, those moments, you know, when my people, my community, people who look like me, understood it and loved it, and it, they, it made them feel seen.
2: Now, today we hear the word streetwear, right? <laughs> yes. And you talked a little bit about the stigma behind this word ghetto and the power of yeah. words. Mm-hmm. What was your sentiment around the time that we used the word urban
0: to describe our passions? You know, that's... The word ghetto, is—it's is, it, it, a sticky subject. I mean, it's a sticky word, and I'll tell you why. Because everyone sees that word differently. Now, Andre Harrell, my mentor, and the godfather to my oldest son, Justin, rest in peace. Andre, one of my greatest, greatest inspirations, and the person who gave me the biggest opportunity in my life, coined the phrase "ghetto fabulous." He loved everything about fashion, and he knew what ghetto fabulous meant. It didn't mean ghetto. It didn't mean um, anything negative or anything that was less than. He actually celebrated ghetto fabulous, and at that time, it was like streetwear, street style, urban wear, mm-hmm. um, wear of the ghetto of the urban cities or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes, and 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 um, Mary's first title was the queen of the. Uh, the queen of the ghetto but they changed that <laughs> and that's just how much Andre celebrated the word in his own way and in our community we knew what it went and we, we knew that it wasn't anything demeaning or anything that made her less than so that's why it's sticky right but when you start to grow and to get into mainstream you have to think about words and what they mean to other people so how I feel how I feel about um, the, the word ghetto, or, oh, urban. transitioning to urban. Transitioning. So in some ways, it was, um, I didn't like not the word ghetto not being understood. But it, I mean, you even have um, black people that be, you know, you say ghetto fabulous, like nothing about you is ghetto. I'm like, yes, it is.
1: <laughs> in the
0: most beautiful, fabulous way. But um so it, it became difficult, you know? So in some ways, now using the word urban, it, it was a sort of relief that came with that because you didn't have to explain and fight and it condiment, kind of the same thing. Um, but looking at urban or ghetto as something that is not worthy of praise, that's not worthy to be celebrated, that doesn't deserve a place in high fashion or high fashion magazines or these global moments that, we, that we've created in fashion, um, that, that's the part, that's the part that I or don't like. code
2: language, right? For another yeah. word of saying othered, or less than, or deficient.
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: So you've influenced not just hip hop and black music, but the world with your work. How has watching what you've created, how it gets
0: remixed in the world, how has that inspired you? Oh, wow. Watching what I've created be remixed, oh, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, It lets me know how powerful my ideas were and how deeply it's touched the world and it started from my community the urban community the ghetto community the black community right these ideas inspired by my surroundings inspired by people of color inspired by my culture and inspired by hip hop have now become something that is that that people love and it's a global influence so it feels really good and it's it, it's humbling at the same time because you know it It really touches me, like, wow. I was just a young girl from Mount Vernon who was creative, who loved wardrobe, who loved clothes, who loved image, and look how far my journey has taken me. It's really um, humbling, and it really makes me feel emotional now, 31 years later, when I think about it, like, wow. It's been quite a journey, it really has.
2: So we're gonna move into the third pillar, and that is collaborations. So oh, now yes. we get into some more storytelling. <laughs> so when we think of style icons, especially in the music genre of the 90s, obviously your name is immediately coming to mind, having been responsible for working with so many of the who's who of hip hop as well as R&B over the years. So let's go through some of the most memorable collabs. Uh, First off, let's talk about Little Kim before the 1999 okay. DMA <laughs> lilac jumpsuit
0: with the little pasty. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so before that moment when we first started working together, so I first met Little Kim um, at the Juicy video, which was for Notorious B.I.G.'s first single um, featuring Total, and I had no idea who Kim was. She was. Um, you know, we—it was like everybody's crew came out to that, out to the Hamptons to like be in this music video. So there were different people that came from Brooklyn, from Harlem, from Mount Vernon, and we were all there to like be the background and you know the swagger and the flavor, supporting Big in his moment. And Kim was there, and she stood out because, if I remember correctly, she was kind of she was like rapping and performing, but I did not know she was a rapper. So fast forward. Um, I'm at my house in Scarsdale and Big comes over to, to um, Big comes over with Kim and that was the first time I really saw her and she was so cute. She was four foot 11, she had on this dope denim suit and she had on um, this, what we call the Anita Baker haircut. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this girl has style. I met her and it was really brief um, and I still didn't know she was a rapper. So fast forward big blows up and so much so that he's able to start his own record company and have his own artists um and his record company he was partnered with lance and rivera and it was called undias records and under the undias records um label they had uh junior mafia and so junior mafia were the guys that i recognized that hung around big all the time and they were always hanging out in the studio. So they became a rap group, and Kim was the female in that group. And so that's when I realized, wow, that's the girl that was at the Juicy video. That's the girl I met in Scarsdale. And so um, Un-, gotten t- Un-, Un and Big wanted me to be a part of um, creating her image and working with her. And they loved what I had did with Mary because I had so much success there. And so they wanted me to come on board to work with Kim. Did I answer your question? Because I'm just telling stories. No, today. you did. But okay. here,
2: here's what I'd like to know, right? Yeah. To kind of put this into context.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How would you describe her style pre-Misa, right? And how were you able to build the iconic look of little Kim that we all know today?
0: Well, pre-Misa, Kim was already fly. She was fly and she loved... Um, designer, she loved hip hop style, um, black fashion, and she celebrated it. Similar to myself and Mary, like we come from um, the '80s hip hop era. We grew up in those times, so we were heavily influenced by that look and by those brands. And um, so she she was fly as she was on her own. But now, when you move into um, the mediums of, you know music videos or editorial shoots or award shows, now it's not just about your everyday look. It's like, how do we take who you are innately and your style and elevate it and amplify it? And that's what I did. So
2: now let's get to the famous moment, the one that has (laughs) been seen all over the world and imitated in so many different ways. Get us to the story of walking us, getting ready to, the VMAs, getting Kim styled, Mm -hmm. your conversations with Missy Elliott, the fabrics, everything up until the famous Pat.
0: (laughs) Okay, so the idea, Missy planted the seed for that idea. And um, one weekend I was hanging out with Miss and she was playing her album. We were listening to music, talking about fashion. And she, just, she, she said, you know what, Kim is a bad, I don't wanna curse, <laughs> mamma jamma. And she could just do anything. If I was Kim, you know what I would do? I would just have one, Can What word should I use? Breast. One breast out, Missy Elliott said. You know what <laughs> Missy said. So she was like, and I said, hmm, wow, that's interesting because I'm a visual person, you know, I use my imagination. So when she said that, I said, how could, how could you do that? Right? So it was she planted the seed um, and I saved that idea look like, in the back of my head. The next big event that I had following that conversation with Kim to, that, that I needed to style her for was the 1999 MTV Music Awards. So once I got the call, I started going into creative mode and that idea popped up. And so I knew that it was very risque to have one breast out Um, so I wanted it to be very feminine and soft at the same time and so that's where the Indian bridal fabric comes in and using that something that was so beautiful where'd you find it? um, 38th Street (laughs) (laughs) right over there Um, and I was fabric shopping and I knew that as soon as I saw it I was like this is it and the way that um, the fabric was. I knew that I could create a pasty from it. Just the design that was throughout the fabric and the way the sequence was. Oh, fabric was so beautiful. Um, and so I came up with a design. So clearly, if you're gonna have one breast out, everything else should be covered, right? So that's when I came up with the um, one-arm jumpsuit. And um, yeah, so that, so Missy gave me that idea. Now the day that she was getting ready. Now, and it's funny, Kim, I have forgot about this. She remind, we had a talk at ComplexCon a couple years ago and she reminded me, we, I was on stage like, wow, I totally forgot that. So I'm gonna share with you now what happened. She was supposed to have um, blonde hair. I thought we planned the lavender from the beginning, but <laughs> anyone who's familiar with blonde hair, do you know about the purple shampoo that you have to use to like bring it, bring it you know, get the, get the yellow tones out and keep it? alive and lively looking. So Dion did some treatment with some purple product for this blonde hair and um, um, the wig turned lavender. But what a beautiful mistake mm-hmm. because it was perfect. And Dion Alexander was the hairstylist and Zynga Gums was the makeup. Um, we, were the glam, we were Kim's glam squad at the time. And so that's how the lavender hair came about and it just matched perfectly. And everybody was freaking out and then they brought it to me. I was like, what? They weren't focused on the fact that it matched. They were focused on the fact that this was a mistake and, and now she wouldn't be able to have her blonde hair. So I was like, it works, this is fabulous and we're gonna do it. And she actually attended um, the awards with Steve Madden at the time and he, he provided the shoes.
2: Now inquiring minds wanna know How'd you keep that pasty on?
0: Eyelash glue. Which is how you know we were dying when Diana Ross touched it. I was on the side of the stage sweating bullets. (laughs) So um, yeah, so that was the day. I'm trying to think of any things about that day that I may not have talked about, but um, the fact that the lavender wig, that was a mistake, a beautiful mistake. And um, it all worked. Kim was excited. We, um, I, we worked together so heavily. I knew her size, her measurements. I could just look at a garment and just know if it would, it, it would fit her or not. And we, of course we had a couple of fittings, but um, it fit perfectly. She was happy, she was excited. She didn't think twice about it. And if you look at the footage of her when she stepped out the car, you know that she just felt like a million bucks. She felt beautiful and um, it, it was a magical moment for sure.
2: Talk to me a little bit about Jodeci, because when we think of Jodeci, we're thinking of the signature combat boots, mm-hmm. the classic all black, leather mm-hmm. vest, mm-hmm. baggy suits, mm-hmm. fitted caps. Mm-hmm. So what was the idea behind creating their image?
0: So the idea um, behind that image um, that was created for Jodeci, I was um, working alongside Puff at the time. So I was the number two. And I'll never be afraid to be somebody's backup or to be the number two. You don't always have to be the number one, right? Because I was in a a great position because I was able to back up his idea to Andre Harrell, which we had to sell, which was basically to make R&B singers look like rappers. And that had not been done before. And that was something that Andre did not want to do and he didn't see coming. And so Puffy and I marched into his office and we told him that we wanted to do this hip hop inspired. Look, we wanted baggy jeans, we wanted combat boots, we wanted baseball caps turned to the back. And Andre said, no, absolutely not. So two hours later, we were able to convince him. And that's one thing that I love about Andre. He listened to young people's ideas and he thought, he, he made us feel like we matter and that our ideas matter and he gave us a shot and I try to do the same thing to the young people around me. So that's how we came up with it. So we wanted to represent um, hip hop culture, youth culture and it was time for us to see our style on TV, like our real style, the style that you see in our communities, but of course, elevate it and take it to the next level. And the combat boots gave a little rock, edgy feel to it. Um, we use Timberland boots sometimes, but the combat boots gave it like that, that, um, that look that that unexpected to you know to the to the uh, hoodies and the baseball caps. But their look took off, and it, they became became trendsetters, and actually. Um, all of the R&B singers that came after them modeled that look, so it was a game changer, and it was a very beautiful, very, very um, important time because fashion was changing and music was changing at the same time. Um, so I was at the helm of all of that. It was really exciting.
2: So Mary, Little Kim, Jodeci were really your early collaborations. Let's talk a little bit about MCM, Macy's, and of course, PVH. Oh, PBH. Yeah,
0: Okay. So. Wow, these are long stories, Elaine. You want me to give you the short version? Okay, let me try. (laughs) Um, So MCM, uh, my collaboration, or my my partnership with MCM starts with an opportunity to be a part of the remix, um, the hip-hop remix times fashion documentary. Have you all gotten a chance to see that? Yes, okay. So, I was contacted by Emil Wilbekin, um, good friend of mine, and he wanted to see if I was interested in being a part of a hip-hop documentary. Are those questions?
2: Don't worry, okay, I've got the time. I, I'm, you know, watching I'm now I'm
0: reading them. Um, so um, he asked me if did I want to be. Did, was I interested in if I would take a meeting with Lisa Cortez, who was going to be the director of this amazing opportunity? So I said, of course, absolutely. I would love to. Long story short, met with Lisa Cortez and Emil. By the end of our meeting, the end of our lunch, Lisa said, Misa, I want you to come on board for this film. But not only do I want you to come on board, I want you to be the focus of the film. I was like, Whoa. Wow, I, I mean, that was, that was a really um, emotional moment for me because that was big, like to be featured in a documentary, my life, like my story, what I've done. And so I said, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> um, MCM was funding the movie. So once MCM um, found out that I was, I agreed to come on board for the film, um, Rita Shukman, who was a VP over there at the time, asked me to come down to the office. she told me about this collaboration that they had coming up with Puma and she said um, she wanted me to come in to do some custom design work for three of this three of the um, artists that they had working, I mean that they had performing at this um, launch party and that was um, Big Daddy Kane, Ninth Wonder, and Rhapsody. And so of course I said absolutely. I went down to the office. They opened up the floodgates for me. They told me I could create whatever I want. I had access to every fabric, every hardware, everything from their archive, anything that I needed to create and I had free reign. Again, it was like, whoa, God is really working in my life at this point. Like, I I cannot believe that I'm in a luxury fashion house with the freedom to create. And again, they're supporting me and they're empowering me. Long story short, one of the looks that I created um, worn by Big Daddy Kane was a MCM Cognac Trench motorcycle trench, and um, Zarina Akers and Beyonce saw that trench um, on Instagram, Zarina called me and she was like, um, Bee loves that trench, I need that trench for B. can you make it? I said, of course I can make it, when do you need it? <laughs> And um, she's like, you know what, let me circle back and get back to you. And um, it was a couple weeks went by and I said, hey Z, um, do you still need that motorcycle trench? She said, you know me, so I'm not sure, I, 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 I do, but I just don't want you to make it and we don't use it. I don't want to waste anyone's time. So just hold on, hold on for a moment. I'll get back to you. I said, oh man, I said, okay. A month later, Zarina calls me. And she's like, Misa, okay, I'm ready for the trench. But guess what? I need a whole look and I need it in three days and I need a ship to Paris or Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) We got it done, didn't we, Naomi? (laughs) We got it done. Um, And you know, that speaks to relationships and your network and your community because we got it done. And um, so after going back and forth with Serena and confirming the design idea, we brought it to life, we got it done. Memorial Day weekend, we got it shipped to Paris on time. And the crazy thing is, I had no idea what it was for, mind you. I did not know what Beyonce was wearing this for. And you know, in our business, we don't ask a lot of questions. We just do the work, get it done. I'll figure when Beyonce wears it, the world will know, right? So I'll wait and I'll be patient. So maybe a month after that, Zarina called me and she was so excited. And she was like, "Misa, she wore the look. She wore it. She killed it. It looked so fly." Da 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 da. I was just happy that she wore it, and I knew once I didn't ask anything. I was just happy she wore it, and I knew again when Queen Bee wore it, the world would know, and I would see it. So one Saturday, I'm sitting in my room in my chair, and I'm just scrolling through Instagram. And all of a sudden I hear that beat come in from Ape Shit. Ape, yeah, that's the same, that's the name of the song. Ape SH You know What? Sugar Honey Iced Tea. And I hear the beat, so I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, you know, and then I see my MCM custom look flash across the screen and I almost dropped my phone. Not only, I knew she was wearing it, but I didn't know it was for the video, the first video for the album, The Carters. I did not know she was wearing it in the Louvre. <laughs> I did not know any of that. So it was just, it was just again, another magical moment. Um, and just thankful to Zarina for that opportunity, for Beyonce and, um, you know, seeing me and loving, um, the design, and so yes, that's MCM, and the rest is history. I've been there since 2018, and I've created for so many people, from Winston Duke, to Ian Dior, to Tiana Taylor, to City Girls, to Mary J. Blige, to Nas, to Wu-Tang Clan. I know I'm missing so many other people. Um, Queen Latifah, um, Lizzo, the um, list goes on and on. So, yeah, it's been a very rewarding experience.
2: We're starting to run out of time, and I okay, want to make sure questions? I get some of the questions. Okay. But uh, we may not have time for all of these I got a story for these. Days, we you guys. It's best been 31 to get years. One good one <laughs> in. How do you maintain and protect the essence of hip hop fashion as part of black culture now that it's being co opted by communities removed from the black
0: experience? Ooh. That was a good one. So ask me that again so I can make sure. I... Can you repeat it, sure. Elena, please? How do I make sure? How do you maintain and
2: protect the essence of hip-hop fashion as part of black culture now that it's being co-opted by communities removed from the black experience? How do I protect it? How do you protect the essence of it?
0: How do I protect the essence? By making sure that the essence is always there, every chance I get. And not just through what I'm actually touching, through what I teach, through what I speak, through how I live my life. That's how I protect the essence. And everything about me celebrates hip-hop culture. And any chance that I have to celebrate it, whether it's through something that I actually create, or it's a conversation, or it's at my academy, I'm protecting the essence at all costs, at all times. And that's just the way I do it. One moment at a time, one person at a time, one opportunity at a time. And on a larger scale, I mean, when you look at um, larger scales, I fight for keeping the integrity of hip hop, um, being true to what hip hop really is, and calling it out when it's not.
2: What's your favorite music video that you have styled out of all oh, your body of work. I don't have favorites.
0: I love all my work. It's like my art. I just can't pick a favorite picture, a photo, a moment, because each moment is so individual and so unique. So I love every moment, working and collaborating with all of the artists and celebrities, um, musicians, um, athletes. They all are gifted, and we, we co-collaborate, co-create, and share our gift together, and it's a unique experience, and everyone is special to me.
2: Who will be a dream collaborator, so we have to speak it into existence, okay. if you could work with them? Dream collaborator?
0: Like what, brand or person or Brand, anything? person or entity? Hmm. A dream person for me to dream, hmm. I forget sometimes, like I'm just in it, I don't know. I, love, I would love, I think I would love to work with Rihanna I would love to do some custom MCM stuff for Rihanna. Um, I would love to, um, I have to be careful too. I'm in partnerships now, but I love every opportunity to be creative with whoever it is and I'm just Good curious. answer. I do, I just like to create. <laughs> I don't need nobody calling me like, excuse me, what?
2: We have one uh, time for one more question. The time How, is up. I'm working on the clock here. Okay. How has the industry changed since you first started in this business? And what advice would you give How has the industry changed?
0: Today? Oh, boy, it's changed so much. I mean, we still hear about um, dis- the disparities, but we've come a long way at the same time. So I... Stand on the side of hope with a mission to help improve the disparities every chance I get. So we've come a long way. There's so many more opportunities for um, people of color and people who have been marginalized and underserved, um, and than there's ever been. I mean, look at me here now. I'm on a stage at FIT, y'all, talking about my work and my journey. For the
2: record, it's not her first time. And it's now, not. Now, we first go way time. back because yeah. if you remember yeah, when my book dropped 10 but years ago. It's the first ago, time, some of y'all saw it. We me. had you come and speak yeah. at FIT with Carl Banks and a yes. number of other folks. And look. But this is a spotlight on you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know those moments, look at someone like me, a, a black woman who is a global creative partner at MCM who has worked in the MCM offices in Korea and Berlin and London, and really have been embraced for um, the creative person and revolutionary creative that I am that 's something that I never would have thought would be possible that wouldn't even be something I would have put on my list to be honest with you. Um, so there's so many opportunities and, and that the, the opportunities that my colleagues have as well to create. You have um, Shiona Torini, who is the costume designer for Insecure, one of the number one shows on HBO. You have um, uh, all the wonderful things. Sergio Hudson, who's now in Saks. I was so happy, right, Naomi, uh, the other day. I was like, look at Sergio in Saks Fifth Avenue. Michelle Obama. Our first lady was Sergio Hudson several times, many times. And again, that would have been a moment where somebody may have suggested that she did not go in that direction. Even though Michelle's a Capricorn like me, she was never gonna go for that. (laughs) But um, you know what I mean? So now, yes, there's so many opportunities that were not possible thought of um, or available to black creatives in the past. But now there's so many more... So many more opportunities. So I encourage you to, you know, believe in yourself. Don't be afraid to dream big. You can do it. Just educate yourself, align yourself with a great mentor or mentors. Um, do the work, um, and and really have the confidence to believe that you could do it. I'm an example that you can do it. Um, all of the black and brown creatives that you see that are working today, um, and 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 a part of amazing programs and projects and collaborations are uh, they show it shows you that you could do it too so I hope I answered the question and um you know my mission has been to educate and mentor um creatives people who are interested in um a career in fashion and that's my way of giving back and making sure that these opportunities continue to become available to us that um that um, I'm leading the way on that, and it's very close to my heart. And it's something that's imperative for me to do. It's my it's my responsibility. And um, so yes, that's the way that I give back so that those opportunities can continue to increase. And that's the way PVH gives back. That's the way Macy's, their initiative, the Icons of Style, was about celebrating brilliant, Black visionaries and giving us a platform and moving fashion forward. Also, um, through our mentorship program with PVH, first of all, let's give it up for PVH. They have um, given $10 million over the next four years. $10 $10 million over the next four years for organization and corporations and institutions such as myself, um, such as Hilton so Fashion Academy, such as my nonprofit, so that we could um, increase awareness and opportunity for underserved communities, um, and make sure that there's opportunities. And it's a global initiative, you know? It's a global initiative. You guys are Australia, Asia, Brazil, um, Africa's coming up too, right? Was it Kenya? Yep. Yeah. And so we're going to be in D.C. this weekend, guys, with our mentorship program. But yeah, so let's give it up for PVH because that's important. And I was, I was, our organization was carefully chosen because there was a long list of applicants. We were carefully chosen. um, And I'm so proud of that. You know, I'm so proud of that. When I started my academy, these opportunities weren't Um, readily available for me so just to be able to partner with PVH and to really do the work and they come and they show up to all our our session our mentorship sessions and and all that and it means a lot to not only give the money but to show up and be a part of it and look they're here today
2: This moment in time, I must, must thank Misa Hilton, mother, lifestyle architect, fashion designer, (laughs) certified uh, life coach, founder of the Misa Hilton Fashion Academy. So again, thank you so much for all your contributions and support. You know, one last story. She talked about the film Remix Hip Hop and Fashion, which I think most of you have seen, am I right? So quick story, talk about community and and building amongst women, women of color. So for a long time, Lisa Cortez and I had been missing each other via email. It happens, I had been connected by another wonderful sister, Martha Diaz, who's now at the Universal Hip Hop Museum. And I happened to go to a fashion show at Parsons where a Parsons student had reached out to me and asked if I would come to this fashion event. Bump into Misa, hadn't seen her in years, and in small talk, she goes, have you spoken to Lisa Cortez? And I'm like, no, you know, I know who she is. We've been missing each other. Elena, you have to be in this movie. The movie was already, like, on the cutting room floor, done. Misa picks up the phone. I speak to Lisa Cortez, and she's like, well, I'm not sure if you're going to make it. I was like, no problem, no no pressure. And lo and behold, if you remember my entry point, I'm the cursing professor, but in context, (laughs) telling the story about... What men would like to see, and with women in the industry, so I must, must, must give her her flowers, her respect for always support, being supportive.
0: Oh, thank you, Elena.
2: Oh. So we're gonna have quite a number of wonderful one-of-a-kind objects that Misa will be providing for the museum. So make sure to watch. On that note, thank you everyone for coming and and have a wonderful night. Can I just say
0: one more thing? Um, I just want to thank the Gates Preserve for preserving my archive and my work. Is that so important um, as creatives, Black creatives, that we? that we archive our work and our designs and everything, our sketches, our notes, everything about our creative process, you should, you know, it should be archived. And so I want to give it up for the Gates Preserve and thank them for creating the most beautiful archive of my work. And I I just want to say one more thing. That's my thing. I always have to say one more thing. Um, When I started in in the 90s, right, all this amazing work that you've seen early on that wasn't spoken of, no one was telling us that we need to archive our stuff. So a lot of times our cousins ended up having it and wearing it, you know, you gave it away, you sold it or whatever because no one taught us that this is valuable, this is your art, you're creating, you know, this is your creation, so that's why I make it a point to talk about that every chance I get. Archive, 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 because we I just didn't even know to do that. That wasn't spoken about in our community, in the Black community. Because again, I feel like it's the trickling down of, like things it not being valued in the same way as you know our other counterparts art And creativity is. And I want to give a shout out to Principal Pitts from Newark School of Fashion and Design in the building. <laughs> Thank you for always showing up and supporting. Love you. And I think that's it, but. You know, cat. All right, give it up, Misa
1: Hilton.